From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. We are delighted that this week's podcast sponsor... Hold your horses there, ICT. <laughs> I'm going to do this week's sponsor because I have actually been using PE Passport in my school. All right. And I've got something that will make you weak at the knees. It reduces teacher workload. Really? Absolute fact, yeah. It actually helps with all your planning. It's all there for you. And, and the planning isn't like old school PE planning. It's really up to date. It's fun. It's new. Major vibes, really. And, uh, you know, the, the, it just makes the lessons more fun. The children absolutely buzz off it. And I'm buzzing teaching it because it's not the same stuff that was taught to me <laughs> 30 years ago. Uh, and also... You know, it lets you assess the children really quickly and purposefully, and that is, I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, that is just dream stuff, isn't it? You can literally have an iPad, and you can just be ticking, bang, 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 and it's done. done. PE Passport, I'm telling you right now, it's a must. Right, there you go. So you heard it from the horse's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, if you go to primarypepassport.co.uk, you can get a free trial, and if you quote Mr. P, you'll get an exclusive 10% discount. Oh, yeah. So get your PE coordinators, your PE subject leaders onto this because it is, like Adam said, an absolute game changer. Hello and welcome to another special episode of Two Mr. P's in a Podcast with me, Mr. P. And the other Mr. P. And we are back with a special chinwag episode. And we were really, really excited about this one. Very excited. I mean, when yeah. we got we we got a little sniff that this person would be up for doing an interview, I was giddy beyond belief. You were. Um, you were a giddy aunt. <laughs> because uh, I've been a massive fan of this guy for ages since reading, or should I say listening, to his first book, This Is Going To Hurt, as an audio book, and as I talk about in the interview, blubbing like a little baby before yeah. I had to do my CPD. Um, yeah, we welcomed Mr. Adam Kay to the podcast. I mean, a huge name. Uh, you know, it's our third one isn't it we're, we're learning on the job yeah uh, but I have to say he, he speaks with such passion as well I love it like comedy and passion it's weird yeah Commission. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I label that can I have that hashtag commission um, so so yeah so we um, we managed to get a copy or I managed to get a copy of his new book Kay's Anatomy um, last week and honestly I'm not just saying this because we interviewed the guy but if you want a book in your classroom that your kids will just absolutely obsess about, you need to get it. It's uh, it's absolutely brilliant because it just... I, I, as I'm reading it to my kids, I'm just becoming so educated about all things to do with the body. Mm. For example, how much of your life do you think you spend on the toilet? Well, to be fair, this might be different. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it depends what I bet. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough, that, isn't it? Uh, go on. 
About a year. A year? A year. A whole year? I reckon I must spend more than that because I will use it as a little bit of me time. Yeah, you do all your videos on there. Hi guys, Mr. Brilliant! Um, so uh, we hope you enjoy this episode Uh, as always please share it uh, with your colleagues your friends and um, and yeah give a review on the Apple podcast yeah it is is amazing really enjoyable we we love speaking to him he's he's top top man it was great so we hope you enjoy it guys take care so welcome to another special edition of Two Mr. P's in a podcast with me, Mr. P. And the other Mr. P. And we are back for another of our chinwag sessions. And we are absolutely delighted to welcome the best-selling author and former doctor, Mr. Adam Kay. Hello, welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me. Uh, how are you doing? I'm all right. It's sort of hard to tell this year, isn't it? But uh, I think I'm all right. Yeah. Well, we always start these sessions by asking, you know, with everything going on at the minute, how your lockdown has been, how your year has been, given everything going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the very, very lucky people who, you know, hasn't, you know, I've not lost any uh, any of the vulnerable or elderly people in my life. Um, I, 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 I live in a place with a garden, so you know so many of my my mates are trapped, at, you know, at the top of twelve-story yeah. buildings, and uh, and that gave them a miserable lockdown. So, um, I guess, and also I, I'm used to working from home, and uh, my husband also works from home, so it's not like we've been sort of suddenly exposed to each other for the first, for the first <laughs> time in our relationship, which I know most <laughs> people have. Um, yeah. So um, we still like each other, and everyone's well, and so. I guess what I've done is I've just kept my head down and written. Um, yeah. I thought I was going to be performing, you know, to I think maybe like 50,000, 60,000 people in my in my shows over the, the course of um, this year. And that, that evaporated. And unlike a lot of people who work in, you know, in this side of things going on stages, I'm lucky I've got my writing as well. So yeah, I just yeah. knuckled down and wrote, did my homework. Yeah. Have you uh, obviously been a, a, a doctor in the, in your past years? Have you had loads of people kind of messaging you like with symptoms and being like, do you think I should get tested, Adam? What, what, what's <laughs> happening to me? Luckily, uh, I've been so long out of the game now and I was never that good when I was even doing it. That my <laughs> know that they can probably find a better medical professional to ask any questions. Yeah. Well, we are, honestly, I've been so looking forward to this. I'm absolutely buzzing to have you on. Um, and you are joining us on the UK's number one educational podcast. Well, co- educational comedy podcast. Yeah. I'll put that one in there it's, as well. Yeah, because we're not quite the top educational. We're not <laughs> the top comedy, but we're the top comedy we educational. found our yeah. niche. Um, and obviously, you had massive success with your first book, This Is Going To Hurt, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but you've got a new book coming out. Well, it's out now, isn't it? It's out already? It's out, yeah. It's been out a couple of days now. Yeah, and the response has been unbelievable. I'm right in thinking it's number one. Uh, on Amazon at, at present. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, at, at the time we're speaking, it's number one. By the time it goes out, it'll probably be number 847. I mean, I've had a copy. We got uh, delivered a copy on, I think it was Friday. Uh, and it, honestly, we've read, we've read the first few chapters. It is absolutely amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, my sons are obsessed with it. 
One of my boys has taken it to bed every night. He's been <laughs> trying to redraw all the pictures. He's been telling me every fact that we've talked about. He's absolutely loved it. So, um, oh, wonderful. Thank you. No, well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you. What, what would people expect if they're gonna if they're gonna buy a copy of this? What, what would you say? Because I mean, it's a different target audience to your first book, going after sort of eight to twelve year olds as your your demographic <laughs> there. Um, so, what would you say? What, what, what can the readers expect? Well. What I hope it is, is a interesting, disgusting, hopefully funny look at the human body. Um, It's something I've been always obsessed with. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't think the human body's always been something that kids necessarily find cool in a way that, you know, space or dinosaurs always like had that magnetic attraction for kids and I wanted to share the things that I knew about the body that I thought they would enjoy if they were reading it in a slightly subversive book rather than being sat down in a classroom and being you know and having no option but to learn about it (laughs) yeah I mean it is I mean it's packed full of and I just love the sort of tone of it how it's done in a very sort of humorous way um but you're right it's absolutely packed full I mean what's great about it is as much as my kids are learning stuff I'm learning <laughs> so much from reading I mean, it's, not, it's not an accident how can we expect you know parents to remember any of this stuff from you know 20 years ago even that's yeah. if they even um you know learned it in the in the first place and um we worked closely with educational consultants to make sure that we were hitting absolutely everything in the syllabus so as well as all the disgusting fart and poo and wee based stuff there's actually the proper you know topics they they yeah, need yeah. to know about sort of stealthily hidden in there I it's I think it's so so crucial. This is coming from someone who, um, how would you describe me? Oh, don't even get me started. Like I find subjects difficult. I mean, I know I work in a school, but a book like this is so crucial because my memories of like the the body and stuff is like the massive posters you used to get where one was a skeleton and one was just muscle. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, remember them. That was it. And but then the labeling was too small for me to see anyway. So I couldn't, <laughs> you know, I, I school school. <laughs> it's like, it's like say one thing about this book, it's got a decent sized font. No one's gonna <laughs> yeah. say I actually when I when I was reading it to my lads, I was like, you know, Adam's gonna need this once I finish because it's just right <laughs> on your level. It is well, I, this is the thing. I mean, I had a little scout through it before, and it is it does look quality. I can't write I'm one thousand percent. I mean, my daughter's only four, um, yeah. but she is interested in the body. But before before we came uh, and we're gonna do this tonight, which we've both been so excited for, um, I said to my daughter, I said uh, give me a question to ask for our guest tonight. Yeah. And she, she couldn't really think of a question, but she said something about the ankles. I said, oh, can you point to your ankles? And she just pointed straight to her nipples. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to, uh, I think I'm going to purchase the book. <laughs> yeah. It's something we need to work on. Um, so but, I mean, yeah. I wrote it. I've never written for kids before. So I wrote it the same as I write for adults because yeah. like you know, the, the the kids in my life I don't have kids but like my uh my godchildren my nephews my niece I speak to them like I like I speak to normal people on the basis that you I say normal people I mean adults uh, I speak to them like <laughs> I speak to adults, um on the basis that how do you expect someone to learn 
the language and how the world works if you could you could you coo them and i don't i don't know how how correct that is but likewise when i was sitting down to write this i wrote the way i would i would write to anyone if i was explaining the liver and i knocked yeah. out the swearing and some of the, the, the reference to the Thundercats and whatever other stuff I say to people my age. But, um, but, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be patronising because no, I think no. I certainly remember being patronised by some of the stuff I read when I was that age. Yeah. I mean, the only tricky thing for me at the minute is there are certain words and, and cert, you know, terminology that I'm trying my best to pronounce. And I'm just like... You, you, need. you need the glossary that's in the back because that's got all the pronunciation in it. Ah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? I, I got alveoli the other day. Oh, yeah. With, with ravioli, so I got that one, oh, yeah. That, I thought, is that now garlic mayo? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, so K's Anatomy, a complete and completely disgusting guide to the human body. I mean, the title, K's Anatomy, is that a play on the Grey's Anatomy TV it show? Or I'm is? really pleased with that title. Um, Absolutely. Because it's a pun that literally none of the target audience will get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyone who reads this book and remembers it will grow up thinking that that is the, that is like the original. And yeah. Then yeah, yeah. If they ever hear Grey's Anatomy, they'll think, oh, that's a clever play on K's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've made 27 seasons of it. <laughs> yeah. um, do, you, do you watch those sort of types of programmes as you were a doctor or...? A, a bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the problem is when you watch that sort of thing as a doctor, um, it's you just be like, well, that wouldn't happen. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast because it's very rare I think probably only teachers if you remember the TV pro program oh, yeah. teachers a while back yeah. that's probably the closest it's come to really depicting life in school usually it's so there's so many examples of you know films or TV shows in schools where we're just like no that would never happen you get some, <laughs> and I just I always wonder like with a lot of the shows you you get is there anything that you've ever watched where you're like no that's an actual that's a really accurate depiction of what it's like and not necessarily I mean, the 24 hours in eight, because that's more reality-based, isn't it? Yeah, so of the dramas, I mean, there's an amazing show called Bodies, yeah. uh, which was repeated on BBC Three, which which came out years ago. It was written by Jed Mercurio, who's written any number of brilliant shows um, since, like Line of Duty. Um, yeah. But I think that was one of his first shows, and it's really good, and it really got it. I remember I was watching uh, Dr Foster oh, uh, yeah. on the BBC, um, and I sat on the sofa... Uh, uh, with James, my husband, and there was some scene in a surgery, and he said, "Was that actual? Would that happen?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that would." But how's this GP got time to have all these dinner parties, let alone <laughs> run the sort of vigilante detective routine that she's doing? So yeah, yeah. yeah. they've got medical consultants who get the, the the nuts and bolts of you know the words they should be saying right. But yeah. I don't think I often see stuff that shows like the that zooms out and shows the effect on people's life. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's what your first book did absolutely brilliantly, didn't it? Um, so, I mean, you, you said, obviously, you didn't fight. So it wasn't as difficult, sort of that transition to a younger target audience with this book. I mean, it's quite a lengthy one. It's quite a, a big, a big... Um, yeah, we've got lots read, of audits. So, yeah. I mean, how long did the process take? Has it been something you've been considering for a while or yeah, something that's been brewing for a, for a while I've been sort of making notes and having a think about how I'd how I'd go about it but um I find I found it really enjoyable to write yeah um because it's something that I'm genuinely interested in and yeah. so when I sat down at my um when I sat down at my laptop 
it was a, it, it flowed quite quite nicely and it was um it was quite it was a fun exercise thinking of analogies like it all makes sense to me but yeah. how do I explain how you know how the neurons work or I, if I don't just want to say a hundred trillion because I think that you know endless numbers are sort of bewildering so like yeah, finding yeah. interesting ways of describing you know huge numbers you know that's you know a thousand times more than the number of galaxies there are or yeah, this yeah. is the same number as the number of cats there are in the world or the number of hamsters that go around the sun or just thinking of interesting um interesting analogies the whole i just sort of enjoyed it really oh brilliant i um i watched your interview on this morning uh i think was it last week or the week before yeah, was, yeah last, last week. week yeah i mean I'm not gonna lie, it's a bit of a bit of a come down leaving a Phil and Holly and joining us, I have to say. But um I, I loved your message about how um you wanted children to kind of, you know, kind of be obsessed with learning about the body like they are with things like spaceships and computer games and stuff like that. And I think yeah. that's a brilliant message because there definitely isn't anything like this that I've seen recently. And 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 um I agree, you know, to get children away from you know, the Xboxes, the Playstations, and actually learn funny, but, you know, real facts. Yeah, interesting facts is 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 uh, really, really yeah. fantastic. Because they're reading the, you know, my facts about poo, they're hopefully also reading the rest of it, and they and they will absorb it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting stuff. And it's also important stuff. We Absolutely. need to know how our bodies work. And I haven't just talked about, um, you know, how you know how your brain works i also talk about how the brain sometimes works differently and i talk yeah. about depression and anxiety and panic yeah. and adhd and autism and you know things that um the kids who are reading it they, they might have themselves in their life or it might be in their friends lives and it's all stuff that they need to know about and for every organ there's a lot of you know it can and does go wrong so i've not shied away from, from that um no. and and we've even talked about death a bit because yeah. I don't think there should be taboos. No, and absolutely. I'm able to sit down and really think carefully about the best ways of presenting some of this information. So, and if a kid asks a difficult question to their parents, they're yeah. not necessarily in that rarefied position. So hopefully it can be a resource that, that parents can, you know, can use with their kids for the, yeah. some of the tricky stuff. And do you think that's been the issue in the past? So I know you've you sort of mentioned there that you you didn't have the most engaging sort of experience of learning about the body when you were at school. Do you think it was that because there's so many sort of taboo subjects with it when we talk? Because we we've talked before about how dire sort of sexual education is at school because it is so it's still a bit more of a taboo subject, isn't it? And so yeah, well, and, I mean, I... and then when you listen to some of the stories from your first book of this is going to hurt you're sort of like, this is something a lot of people need to know so they don't make the mistake of, you know. I think certainly when I was at school, a lot of this stuff was presented in quite a dry way. Yeah. And and it just became another subject, you know. You did physics and then you did biology and then you did maths and, and I don't know, just... I th- you know there are experts in in physics and bio and, and maths and things who you know who will be able to to give their subject the best possible showing. I thought for the one that I love, I want to to make sure that there is a, a way in. And yeah. even if you're talking about difficult stuff, you can you can it doesn't have to sound dry, yeah. and you don't have to 
you know, tell kids what to do or what to think. You can just present some facts and allow that, you know, however old they are, they're, they're grown up enough to, to have the thought process to work out what they want to do. Yeah, and I, and I love what you said there about putting everything in context because you do that, so far from what I've read, you do that absolutely brilliantly. So when it is, you've got so many platelets in your bloodstream and then you'll give it a context so for like my boys they can start to really visualize what that would look like and it is it's absolutely fascinating when when you start really thinking about these machines we have that we just don't really appreciate how incredible they are as sort of machines they, they oh, are and we work very hard to like give the uh the organs a bit of a personality yeah so yeah. they're more distinct from each other because like um you know, when I was starting to put it together, I would um, I would ask uh, like my husband and various mates who are, who aren't from the medical profession just little questions, and like pretty much no one knew the difference between what the liver and the kidneys do. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, well, they need to look totally different and be totally yeah. different, and have different personalities, so that you know if you've used this as a way of learning it, then you you'll obviously know they're different, and you'll hopefully have the little cartoons in your in your head yeah you, you, I don't know whether you were doing a poker face then when you said about like you know I was asking friends about what the difference between liver and kidneys I was sat here thinking like oh god <laughs> and then you went <laughs> yeah right <laughs> totally <laughs> um it's funny because you do I mean you cover like you said there um you know uh, plenty of conditions that people might might suffer from and uh and it's funny because as we were reading a couple of chapters there was one point I don't know what it was but I was like yeah, your Uncle Adam's got that. Yeah, your Uncle Adam's got that. Because this guy has like a permanent residence in the hospital. You know, if you've got his hospital file, it's his... Yeah, it's, it's like, um, yeah, it's one of it's one of them files that the, the worst employee has with all like the record cards and stuff in. Yeah, there's, there's been a fair few. I mean, I got diagnosed with ADD um, in secondary school. Uh, my mum was fighting for it, wasn't she, for yeah. years. Uh, every report I ever had was like, oh, he's... He's, he's really what was it he's like he's really he's got he's got it all there he just can't concentrate he just can't concentrate I mean there's one report where I got absolutely slated until it got to the music one and it was like Adam can clap his own name <laughs> and that was like the bonus that was like oh can I get something and then um, and then yeah I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in uh, the week before my first freshers week so it's like, um, not that that has any context to it, but um, it's just, yeah, I do have a bit of a history. Yeah. Shall we say. <laughs> so um, here's a question that I was thinking, because obviously the book is packed full of facts. So on a scale of one to, like a percentage, one to a hundred, how many of those facts would you say you already knew compared to how many you had to then research yourself? I think I knew most of it myself, yeah. um, wow. but I did then check everything. Yeah, yeah And yeah. I didn't just sort of, and I gave it to a bunch of, uh, bunch of doctor mates to have a read through, because I thought it's going to be, it's going to look pretty ropey if I've sent all these kids off, you know, with totally incorrect knowledge about <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, so um, it's I've always been interested in it, and so I've sort of I've always been good on a pub quiz for the for any any questions about the body that come come up. But yeah. the interesting thing is, quite a few of the uh, the people who who read it, the doctors who read it, were like, I didn't know that thing. And there was one particular fact that none of the doctors 
new, which is, you know, like the sleep in the corner of your eyes when you wake up. Um, yeah. That's got the name, which is Gound, G-O-U-N-D. Right. Um, and, uh, and a few of them were like, yeah, never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll use that tomorrow in class. You got a bit of gound in your eye. <laughs> What's gound? Ah, you see? Because <laughs> we were going to ask, like, if we, we, when we go into school tomorrow, if you could give us one fact that we can just drop that knowledge bomb in school tomorrow and it'll make all our pupils just sort of go, oh, my, that, that's amazing. What's the, what would you say is the one fact that you... Okay. I mean, it's quite a good fact that your blood contains gold. I quite like that. There's not much. You <laughs> yeah. have, to, have to drain all the blood from an entire full football stadium of yeah. people to get enough for like a small ring or something. So Spando, um, Spando Ballet were, were onto something, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's the fact that your nose can tell the difference between a trillion sets different smells. And a trillion is, what's that? That's 10 times the number of people who've lived on Earth since the beginning of time. Um, in your life, you'll eat 30 tonnes of food, which is about 20 hippos worth. You make 600... 60 for Adam. Yeah. <laughs> if you unfolded your brain, it would be as big as a pillow. The longest ever fart was three minutes. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of good facts. They, they are unbelievable facts, but I'm worried about the last one you said. If I go into my class tomorrow and go... You know, the longest fart on world record is three minutes. I know a kid will be like, oh, all right, here yeah, we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, that's a challenge. challenge. So which, um, if you were to pick one part of the human anatomy that is your absolute favourite, that you enjoyed writing about the most or just fascinates you the most, what, what would it be, would you say? I'm going to go with the brain um, yeah. because it's the most amazing bit of kit and we really, really, really still don't know quite how it works. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the, the chapter that if some archaeologist digs this book up in 100 years' time, everyone will point at and laugh and say, God, we really didn't know much about the brain. Yeah. Um, it's like even the stuff that should be fairly basic, like how memories are stored or what dreams are and that, that, this sort of stuff. It's all a yeah. bit sort of... Mm, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> is it so, I can't remember the complete fact, but there's a percentage of our brain that we actually use. That's always... No, that's, a, that's an incorrect fact. Oh, is it? Go on, uh, see. So, but no, lots of people think it. Um, but it, if, if you only use 10% of your brain, then, you know, if someone stuck a knife through your head, there'll be a 90% chance that your brain would be fine. And that's yeah, not yeah. the case. Um, we, we, we use all your brain. If any part of the, the, the brain is affected by a stroke or an injury or something, pretty much it has some sort of effect. Um, we probably understand 10% of what the brain does, but that's slightly mm. different. So many teachers will be gutted with that. Like, that is the go-to line. Just like, come on, you only use 10% of your brains, let's open it up. I mean, is, is there any other, like... Um, False truths that you, you hear people say all the time that you just yeah, know for a fact. Loads. There's the there's the fact that you know you'll get a cold if you go out with wet hair. Oh yeah, yeah. That's nonsense. A, you know, a cold caused <laughs> by a virus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> airborne transmission. Nothing to do with the you know how wet or otherwise your your extremities are. Yeah. And what's the uh, the, the crusts of bread one? 
You get curly hair. Is that it? curly hair? Is that just yeah. a joke? Yeah. yeah. I, think <laughs> I could have told you that one. <laughs> yeah. um, in fact, in the book, at the end of every chapter, I do this sort of true or poo uh, section where sort of I, I say something and, uh, and then uh, let the kids guess what it yeah. is, or to be honest, the adults guess. And... Uh, <laughs> No, I, I did I, when I had a little flick through before I saw a couple of them true or poos and there was a few that were just I mean we've got some here haven't we yeah the, the one that is just on the one the blood the blood contains gold <laughs> gold but again I, if I told my class that they'd be they'd be going home and and it's great because like we, we were reading the blood chapter last night and I really like the way that you then will explain about sort of giving blood and how important that is and and just some really nice key messages about helping each other helping obviously the nhs with things was that uh, looking, after, looking after yourselves and yeah. you know healthy ways of not just living but healthy ways of thinking yeah. so uh so people who have certain conditions that were born with or develop don't feel that they're abnormal yeah. in any way and they know it's just who they are and it's just a part of them and um i talk you know quite a bit about body image because mm -hmm. i know that's a big thing that that affects uh kids and um i think it's hopefully helpful for them just to have some sort of sensible reassuring advice if you know if i can make them trust me through the yeah. through the funny bits hopefully they'll you know that sort of stuff will will sink in Absolutely. And, and I think that's important to get them to understand, you know, if there is someone in their class who might, you know, suffer from a condition and just have a bit more awareness and empathy about, you know, what Absolutely. it's like. It's, it's, you know, it's, so it's all about knowledge, you yeah. know. People are, people are mean to people or they you know, or dismissive of people, often just because they, they, don't, they don't have the information. And... Yeah. Uh, I'm 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 pretty sure that that's the, the the first step. Oh, absolutely! No, it is. It's it's absolutely brilliant. So um, so yeah. So our podcast, we talk a lot about school and what what you know, at the ins and outs of what happens in school. So, what sort of pupil were you when you were at school? How was school for you? Am I allowed to say little shit? <laughs> well, us <laughs> Adams are the same. Yeah. <laughs> Must be something in the name. Yeah, so I was um, so. I went. I went to a um, to an all boys um, prep school and then yeah. minor public school in South London, and you know I'm I'm not totally convinced that that's the ideal environment uh, to to learn how to socialise. Yeah. I mean, I didn't speak to girls pretty much until I went to university, and I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Um, so. Um, uh, and I went to the sort of schools that put huge value on playing as many musical instruments as possible or doing as many sports as possible and let's yeah. get as many GCSEs as possible, like it was some sort of horrendous competition. And I quite, I, I, I think I did thrive um, in, in that and my parents certainly sort of pushed me towards that. So I was, I was quite bookish yeah. and sort of competitive with it in a way that I think probably isn't particularly healthy. I think there was too much emphasis put on exams. And um, 
and not just like the ones you have to sit. They would make up fake exams like twice a year that you just had to do. You <laughs> uh, had to revise for them. So we had so, yeah. um, and I did lots of music. So I was like the music nerd rather yeah. than I don't know. It's like in in Mean Girls or something where you just have to choose a tribe, and uh, I chose the <laughs> I chose the music clique, and uh, you know I was I was very fortunate. Um, to be in an environment where I could be like, and now I want to learn the saxophone, and now I want to learn the trombone, and that was uh, and that was possible to to happen. And music has since been a big part of my life. But having read back through, so when my my parents cleared out a big load of stuff, and I I, I rescued some like exercise books and things, yeah. and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't have liked you, twelve year old Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what would you say was your favourite subject when you were at school? Probably English. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that. I was wondering whether it might have been science, obviously, with the uh, going into medicine. Um, but then, obviously, your, your gift for writing. I wondered if English was up there. Yeah, I did always enjoy writing. Um, I was slightly strong-armed into having a inverted commas uh, for anyone listening rather than watching, sensible, you know, occupation to go into. Yeah. Um, so a combination of the school and the fact that I came from a family full of doctors meant that there was a fairly short short list of acceptable yeah. professions and doctor was uh, was one of the top ones also I'm from a Jewish family where that's a pretty trump card my son the doctor and <laughs> so it, was a, it was all leaning that way um, and I don't blame my parents in the slightest for it because everyone wants the best for yeah. their kids Absolutely. and you know they knew that being a doctor was a safe job a yeah. good job a great job and a hugely rewarding job and they they wanted that for me and they knew what a nice life it could and fulfilling life it can give someone um it wouldn't have occurred to them that uh, I might have gone down the road of uh, art or or music or writing or journalism or something like that and and they you know there's um, I'm one of four, and we all had fairly similar uh, trajectories through university. Um, whereas James, my um, my other half, um, his his mum's a, a teacher, and his dad uh, worked in advertising, right. and um, all four of them have ended up in either TV work or music and that or journalism and that kind of thing. Because, yeah. but you know. For James's dad, that was the safe, sensible, you know, road well travelled to go to go down. So uh, I, I didn't really think too much about where I was going, but I, I was, I didn't have no interest in in science, obviously. But I think if I was if I was left to make all of my own decisions, I'd have probably gone down the English road. But then again, why would you let any teenager make all their own decisions? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's yeah, the best of both worlds, yeah. Um, what would you say was, was the subject you absolutely hated? I mean, I get a sense in the book it's maths for some reason, as maths teachers take a bit of a bashing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry, maths teachers. I just sort of, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't get interested. Yeah. Is I that, could... I could I could sort of do it. I was like a sort of I could do an acceptable level of maths, but I don't think for whatever reason I ever got the bug. Yeah. It didn't but give you the I, passion. 
Yeah, but then again, I, you know, I've sort of, it can be done right. And like the brilliant people like Simon Singh, and I've sort of, uh, I've looked at some of his his stuff online and I was just like, oh, wow. If you'd have, if you'd have taught me like that, I'd yeah, have liked yeah, maths yeah. as much as I like the rest of it. So um, um, religious studies, I didn't really, um, I'm sorry, God and everyone who teaches <laughs> religious studies. But um, it was very, it was very, very Bible-y. Yeah. And I'm sure that these days it's a lot more world religion and 360 degrees. But, you know, I, I, I learned a bit too much gospel. And yeah. um, that, yeah, that was probably the one I was like, oh, no, sorry, next. Yeah. Was there any teacher back in the day that sort of had a real positive, positive influence on you? Yeah, there, there, there were a few. There was a, there was a great English teacher called Mr Northcote Green, um, and I had a, a physics teacher called Mr. Woods, and I remember them in particular. In fact, I remember I remember specific moments where this English teacher, you know, there was a, there was a piece of work I'd written, and it was a poem, and he said, "You know, that's really really good," and that was the first time that someone a teacher had actually come up to me. You know, I'd had like obviously a piece of paper marks, and I had feedback, sort of secondhand after parents' evening, but that was the first time. A teacher had said that to me. A grown-up had said, "That's really, really good," and that made me think, "Oh, wow, cool!" And <laughs> it's weird. I mean, that's that's the best part of that. Must that's over twenty-five years ago, and I can I can even remember the classroom it happened in. Absolutely, yeah. verbal feedback. <laughs> you, you, this is what you fight for, isn't it? Yeah, it's all the written marking. It's all about that. You know, yeah. I actually had I actually had one of those moments today. Believe it or not. Uh, a mum came to the door and I went to answer the door uh, today and the mum said, uh, oh, are you, are you Mr P? And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, oh, my little girl came home from school the other day and she said that someone had called her a name, but then you announced to the whole class that she's not that name, that she's brilliant. And I remember it happening. I'm not joking. I, I don't know what's happening to me at the moment. I don't know whether it's all the covid stuff, but <laughs> yeah. I'm a very highly emotional guy. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, thanks a lot. <laughs> Take care. Like really crying. <laughs> you realise that these things have a profound absolutely effect. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have a. I didn't lay down a huge number of memories uh, at school, other than sort of sort of having facts drilled into me. Oh, here's a weird thing. This is my this is my main memory of school. So, so it was a place called Dulwich College um, in South London, and it churned out people like P.G. Woodhouse and yeah. Raymond Chandler, but also Ernest Shackleton, who was uh, your bloke who went went to the polls in his boat. Yeah. And there was a film called The Perfect Storm at some point when, um, in the late 90s or something. Yeah, 99, I think, yeah. And, and that was like, a, that was a big deal. And suddenly he became, but previously to that, no one had heard of this bloke. Yeah. And the, his boat, the James Caird, was just out in the school, like totally open. It was like these cloisters that connected a couple of buildings. This boat was sat on some fake rocks. <laughs> and if you, if you were first out of, um, when the bell went and you ran yeah. downstairs, you could eat your, your crisps at break time in the boat. You know, <laughs> and so... And so, I mean, dozens of times, I would. I think I've probably, like, I'm not going to say I've put my name in a compass in the boat because I'm probably going to prison, <laughs> won't I? But, you know, but I definitely uh, sort of ate my blue ribbons bar or whatever. <laughs> in that. <laughs> and then uh, I went back to the school um, 
quite recently they wanted to, me to give a talk to um, some prospective medical students which I was yeah. obviously happy to do um, I love speaking at schools and, and in prisons which are not totally dissimilar places and actually much more interested in what I'm saying in prison I went back to the school and then and the boat is now in this hermetically sealed (laughs) moisture and temperature control oh god better not mention that I used to have my fists in there (laughs) we uh we have like features on the podcast and one of them's like the random things you only find in primary school um, and that's got to be up there as one of the most <laughs> random things. Just a, just a boat in the playground. Yeah, it was inside. It was covered. So it wasn't, oh, right. totally, it wasn't to- totally out in the open. Although it would have been fine. I mean, it went to the South Pole or wherever it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And also, I learned weird vocab at school. So like, for whatever reason, you ate lunch in the buttery. The school <laughs> shop was called the commissariat. And I don't know any better. It's school. Why are they teaching <laughs> words? Um, you know, you sort of, if you if you graze your knee, you go to the sanitarium. It's like this is <laughs> this is a weird word. So I went to university, not just never having spoken to uh, anyone who wasn't a posh boy, but with this totally <laughs> wrong vocab of what half the stuff's called. Just imagine you're making new friends. Like you come into the sanitarium, they're like, what? <laughs> uh-huh. Right. So we, we we have to sort of um, quickly mention your first book. This is going to hurt which uh, was absolutely incredible. Um, am I right in thinking it was the best-selling book of 2019? Is that right? Yeah, it could well have been. Lots of people bought it, or, or one person bought it lots of times. Whatever happens, lots <laughs> yeah. of pockets changed hands. Yeah, I mean, did you ever expect it to be as big as what yes, it is? What it, no i mean it is but i mean as you were writing it did you think this is no i really really didn't expect it um so between medicine and this sort of the writing job i I do now i'm I'm, i worked and still work to a certain extent in telly doing scripts and so i knew lots of people who'd written books before yeah. Um, you know, because sort of as soon as you you become sort of an L-list celebrity, one of the people I'm writing for, you know, someone offers you a book deal, and then you get. And what tended to happen was, you know, you would you would go to a book launch and drink some, you know, warm Chardonnay in a too hot room, and then they do a speech, and then forty eight to 72 hours later, the book had completely disappeared from the world, and it was never spoken about again. <laughs> so, I assumed this was what was going to happen. I was I was propelled into doing it because um, these were diaries I'd kept while I was working as a doctor. Yeah. But when the the junior doctor strikes happened four or five years ago, I thought if people really knew what it was like on the front line of medicine, then the government would never get away with the stuff they're saying or they're striking as they're being greedy and they want more money and all that. Yeah. So, I didn't really care if, you know, if 20 people read it. If 20 people read it, those are 20 people who next time the government go for the doctors, they yeah. won't believe. Um, and so I had in my mind what would, what would happen to the book. And then it sold and it kept selling and it sort of, and it snowballed. And it was, I, mean, I couldn't, have, couldn't have predicted it at all. No, yeah. one of the first people who read the book uh, was, uh, was my mother-in-law, who's a primary school teacher up in, uh, in the borders in Scotland. And she read it and said, this could have been set in a school. Yeah. And ever since then, teacher after teacher gets in touch, because it's easy to get in touch with an author these days through, you know, 
Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Um, teacher after teacher says it's exactly the same. Huge, yeah. underfunded mm-hmm. public bodies relying on the goodwill of individuals, um, you know, to pick up the, the, the slack and, you know, and make sure that, you know, kids get educated. Yeah, and you know what? It was one of my questions going further down. Like um, when I when I read it, that was exactly what I felt. It's like this could just so easily be uh, a, a commentary on what's happening in schools and what's happening in education. And I think what made it amazing is um, it just the emotions it evokes. Like I I actually listened to it as an audio book when I was driving down to. Um, I think I was driving down to Barry in South Wales. So I had a right trek and I listened to it. And, um, you know, one second you're laughing your head off at some of, some of the stories you share about some of the things you saw and some of the stuff that went, went on. But then the next minute, floods of tears. I remember the last, I think it was the last sort of story you shared, which was the point where you decided to, 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 yeah. to leave as, yeah. a, as a doctor. And I remember I listened to that last part on my way to the school in the morning and I remember just sitting in my car for like 10 minutes and just blubbing and just crying through that story because it was just so, I mean, obviously really well written, but I think that's the one thing that most people who have read it would say. It just really resonated. And, and you did, you got such a sense of what it is like working in NHS that you don't get on telly and you don't really see elsewhere. And I think if that was your uh, intention to really open people's eyes to what it's like in this broken system in an you know that the government don't don't value i think it was definitely a, a achieved oh thank you um yeah i just i wanted to tell like one doctor's story that yeah. hopefully represented you know a bunch of other doctors and you know and i've heard from you know a lot of people who, who aren't in the profession saying that they hadn't realized it was as bad as it was yeah. and also i heard from an awful lot of doctors um, saying until they'd read that, they thought they were the first doctor who'd ever cried in a locker room, you know, really? when something bad happened, because there's a, there's a culture in medicine that you're a bloody doctor and you bloody get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's not healthy, because the culture needs to be talking about the, the tough days, because they'll be the same in teaching, I'm absolutely certain. Absolutely. The tough days, and um, and the worst thing you can possibly do is just put it in a box and take it home. Absolutely. I think it's so true. I mean, we're, you know, obviously we're nowhere near like the talent of what you did with your book, but our podcast, uh, we receive quite a lot of messages off teachers just going off what you said about being the same kind of unappreciated profession and teachers saying that they just need that little bit of, um, you know, realisation that it's not just them. So we'll be talking about kind of mistakes that we've made or mistakes that I've made a lot. <laughs> and, you know, they'll be saying like, I'm so just so glad you did this because I did it and thought, that's it, I might leave teaching. I mean, we have had yeah, a lot of it. Um... Yeah. I've, I've had quite a few because, I mean, what I try and do with, because I've, you know, for the past few years been sharing as much as I can online about teaching. And, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about trying to help as far as well-being and workloads concerned. And, you know, I think, again, that's what was, was so amazing about your book is that it really did resonate. And, and like you said there, you must get so many messages of teachers who just go through the same, same sort of struggle, really. Um, and I, I get so many teachers, same as what you've just said there about doctors who think that they're the only ones who 
um, you know, struggle and, 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 and that sort of thing. And I think things like social media doesn't really help, does it? Because that, you know, I don't know what it's like if, if it's the same with, with doctors, but with, with teachers, you just, you tend to only see people not showing off, but sort of sharing what's been great in their class there, and what's yeah. fantastic. I think it can provide a support network oh, absolutely. for people who struggle, who would struggle to say to their, you know, their mate in the in the staff room, yeah, um, I've had a really rough day of it, and they might find it much easier as an anonymous Twitter account or as a member of a Facebook group. Um, but yeah, it's the. It, it can also be a very toxic place on, on social media. But I think whether it's a person that you speak to in real life down the end of the phone or, or, or type to anonymously on a Facebook group, it's so important to have a shoulder to cry on and someone just to sense check, you know, yeah. you, you, you always think you're overreacting when actually you're just normal, normally reacting. And someone to say to you it's fine to to be stressed about that or you know just a dispassionate you know pair of ears to say maybe what you need to do is speak to the parents maybe what you need to do is speak to your head maybe what just just because otherwise these thoughts are in your head and chances are you're not going to come up with the best solution um at three in the morning when you can't sleep yeah and just saying about your uh, the, the, this is going to hurt book, I've I've never seen it. I mean, it was released in 2017, if I'm if I'm right. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it in like home bargains, knockdown. You know, one of them books that's in like the bargain bucket. So I mean, that that shows class, doesn't it? Yeah. I just see like I've seen like Amy Child's books in there, her autobiography after the first year of Towie. I mean, that, that's the levels. You are levels above. <laughs> and and, and right in thinking it's um, going to be a TV show, is that right? It is going to be a TV show. It's going to be uh, on the BBC over here and AMC in the States. Um, hopefully shooting very soon. Um, yeah. World-changing um, pandemics allowing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be really exciting. And it's much like the book, it's going to be a comedy drama. Yeah. So sort of, because... I don't think you could do a fair depiction of the NHS or indeed teaching that was yeah. either just a, a straight drama or a straight comedy because yeah. they, they exist somewhere between the two and um, absolutely get the balance right on that. And how much have you, are you involved with that or is it just? Yeah, I'm fairly involved. So I've written all the scripts right. and I'm playing all the parts. So, <laughs> yeah. so I've written all the scripts and, uh, uh, and it's, I mean, I'm really excited with the with the team who are involved. The production company are brilliant, called Sister Pictures, who made Chernobyl and things like that. Oh, and Ben wow. Wishaw's yeah. playing the lead. Lucy Forbes is the director, who um, uh, done various shows like uh, End of the Bleep World. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. You won't allow me with your swearing rule to say the actual title of the show. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's, I'm really excited about it. Did, so. did you get to choose who played you? Do you have any influence on that? I was involved in the discussions, which is weird because it's like the standard dinner party conversation. Yeah, yeah. Who would play you in a thing of your life? And now we're sitting in some sort of windowless basement, sort of going through lists of actors and saying, yeah, who would play me? And Ben Wishaw was far and away our sort of top, top, top choice. I think he's a... Stunning actor. He's a national treasure. He's good in everything he does. He's the voice good. of Paddington, isn't he? He's he's so versatile. He's <laughs> he's so funny. Uh, he's a brilliant drama. 
it's comic timing spot on um and yeah and he's paddington what more can you ask that's good i mean that's it's i i'm well excited about that that's gonna be yeah. amazing. so are you gonna, go on, you're gonna try and have a sneaky cameo surely you can be lay on the bed yeah that could be corpse number seven <laughs> or something. um so yeah what was this? Oh, I've got another question here. So, um, yeah, so but, uh, well, I, I love the funny stories that you're telling that first book. The, um, I mean, if ever there was an advert for how we probably need to educate young people more about the do's and don'ts of, of what to do with your downstairs department. Um, I mean, what, yeah. is, what, would you, what would you say is the one story that, I mean, you can still tell now that would just make everyone just sort of either cringe or sort of laugh um, that you actually had to experience when you were a doctor? Yeah, so what's my greatest hit, is your question? What's my, <laughs> yeah. what's my yesterday? What's my creep? Um, <laughs> it, I, it's, I mean, the, the one that served me well um, in a thousand uh, pubs and dinners and is now one of the stories that people remember the most, now it's been typed up in a book, is a slightly horrific number about uh, uh an 18 year old lad who was celebrating after um after receiving his a-level results three c's um and uh <laughs> was dancing on the on the top of a bus shelter and decided to get down to ground level um uh by sort of koala sliding down a lamppost but he'd misjudged the texture of his lamppost and he ended up degloving his penis and um uh, there aren't any footnotes, obviously, when you're t- when I'm telling the story. But if there was a footnote about degloving, it's like when a motorcyclist flies off their bike and their hands drag along the ground, so the skin and all the underlying structures are, are torn off. And um, yeah, and I uh, I imagine that's probably not a story that can be told in class. Uh, <laughs> well. Yeah, what, what was it, what what happened off the back? Of, did he have to? Was it an operation? Well, so he was left with like like two millimeters diameter of urethra coated with a like thin layer of what looked like tomato sauce, <laughs> and um, and if you think that grows back, then I, you really need to read my textbook. <laughs> <laughs> and he was what eighteen? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, that is a, that's a cracking story. And he'll hear the story back in here, <laughs> two millimetres, and just be like, oh. <laughs> just like, oh, God. Oh, wow. Um, so you say that, like, uh, you, the, the sort of motivation was when the government were sort of giving junior doctors um, uh, sort of such a hard time. I mean, yeah. did you find that book then sort of therapeutic to, as an answer? It was Jeremy Hunt who was the Hunt being, you know, what... Yeah. what did you find, I mean, that letter that you wrote to Secretary of, of Health at the time, State for Health, wasn't it? Um, did, do you think it, it, it has an impact or did, did you find it therapeutic to speak on behalf of doctors? I was, I mean, I was speaking on behalf of myself and hoping yeah. that it, that it was a view that was shared by doctors, which I think, which I think it was. And um, the book itself is lowercase p political yeah. um, telling my story such as it was um, until the last couple of pages where I do basically say to, you know, the people who are making the decisions to listen to the people on the front line. I'm mm. sure that you and your listeners yeah. will, will share the sentiment because it applies anywhere. 
the question is, if you knew what it was like yeah, on yeah. my ward, in my classroom, there's no way you'd be making these decisions. Absolutely. And it's a case of just listening to the people who are actually doing the job. There's something slightly mystifying how you can be in charge of um, education and then suddenly you're in charge of defence and then suddenly you're in charge of the treasury. Surely you mm. want the person at the at the top, if not to have done the job, then have just specialised in it for for ages and they've been rather than having previously run the department of culture and now suddenly you're in charge of every single teacher school university in the in the country it makes no sense at all so yeah. or get sacked from being... background knowledge at least listen to the people who do yeah. and immerse yourself in their worlds before you make mad decisions yeah i was going to say or get sacked as being a minister of something and then get made educational secretary Oh yeah, as a as as some sort of sort of wooden spoon prize, because I guess it's only the future of every fucking child in the country. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you were, let's say, you were given the job of, sec- we'll start with Secretary of Health. What would be, you know, the first couple of things you'd change, or what would you like to see change with? I mean, it's. NHS? The answer is very, very easy, but at the same time, impossibly difficult because the answer is it needs a lot more money. Yeah. And there are you know, there are a thousand little things you can change. Oh, how about this and how about that? But ultimately, if you want if you want to provide the quality of service that we should be providing, if you want the million and a half people who work in the NHS to be able to do their job the way they trained for. It just needs more money. Yeah. You can't have a system where it's stretched atom thin, mm. where people are going so far above and beyond, because that's unsustainable. Yeah. Because people burn out and people leave. You can do two people's job for a week, when they're on holiday, and maybe a month, or maybe you could cover someone's maternity leave. But you, that can't be your normal. Yeah. You can't be doing people's job permanently, because eventually you'll just be like, well, no, I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what's the answer for education? What's the... Is it money again? Money, definitely, I think, that's sort of underfunding. And I just think uh, that with teachers, it's it's a case of trust. I think the biggest issue with a lot of schools is this obsession with the accountability. So, so much time and effort for teachers is just wasted having to prove you're doing the job that so many of us are just capable of doing. So you just yeah. always feel like you're chasing your tail to prove to whoever's observing you, checking you, you know, Ofsted coming in to make a judgment on your... That screen. presumably takes up a huge amount of your time. Exactly. you could be doing what you're trained to do and you do well, which is actually teaching kids. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I, I find fascinating is just how you manage to do it, considering the shifts when you were, when you were working as doctor, like the shifts and... I mean, I str- sometimes I struggle in class if I've stayed up past, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but you seem to, I mean, run on empty. And surely that's just only going to have a negative negative consequences because if you've not got, like you talk about in your book, with, with sleep, getting the right amount of sleep to, for your brain to function, I mean, it must just be so challenging to be able to having to constantly think and make, you know, uh, incredibly important decisions when you've not been able to yeah, rest properly. It sounds, I mean, it sounds totally obvious. You know, if, you know, God forbid someone needs an emergency operation, would you rather the doctor who's been there for one hour or the doctor who's been there for 19 hours, <laughs> six hours longer than they were meant to be because there wasn't anyone to take over from them? I mean, it's, it, 
it should it should be obvious, but yeah. there isn't this doctor to take over from them because there are huge numbers of gaps in every single rotor, just like there are a huge number of gaps in in the, in the teaching rotors. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Money. and it's interesting. I think this is another real positive thing. Uh, part of your book is I was listening to another podcast. Um, John Richardson does one. I've done. Oh if yeah, you've I love John, John Richardson and the Future Notes. And that's a really interesting podcast because they take different subjects and sort of they ask three questions. They sort of go, how effed are we in the situation we are? We are. How do we get this effed and how do we un-eff ourselves? And yeah. it was interesting with the health one because they were basically saying in, in the UK, especially, we don't really have a healthcare system. We sort of have a sick care system. So the best way in which we could help our NHS is to sort of educate people around how to stay healthy. Absolutely. I mean, that's an enormous, that's an enormous thing we can do. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we need to, we need to take our health much more, much more seriously. I think we're getting slightly better at it, but we can get yeah. an awful lot uh, better still. There's a doctor called Phil Hammond who's been, uh, who's been banging on about this for years and years and years. And, uh, and we're slowly catching up with his, his way of thinking yeah but I think the book the book will help I mean the more children who read this the more they're going to grow up understanding how to stay healthy and how to make sure you're exercising and eating healthily and that's only then going to hopefully, have I mean hopefully I'm I'm not just telling people what to do I will always explain yeah, why. yeah. you know because if someone says to you don't drink alcohol you immediately think well obviously I'm going to do that now and <laughs> <I get> bladded <laughs> But yeah. uh, if I sort of, I never say don't do this. I just lay out the facts of what, you know, a cigarette or a, or a pint of beer is, you know, actually doing to, to the body. Yeah. And, um, you know, and just say, say why that's, that's why I don't smoke. And hopefully that will no, help them come to the same conclusion. Yeah, because we, uh, we read that chapter last night about smoking and uh, it was a case, exactly what you said there. You don't say don't do it, but it's like, and then this happens, and then your lung's doing this, and then this is getting built up. And, and I did, my boys just turned around and was like, why would anyone ever smoke, you know? so I mean, if you read all that and you still want to do it, then, you know, I've, I've given them the facts. <laughs> I was going to say with the health and everything, it's a case of, you know, if in doubt... There's gold in your blood. <laughs> so, <laughs> a chicken dinner. <laughs> and um, yeah, we spotted a tweet from you where we, you were sort of tweeting a few of your chapters to uh, certain Mr. President over in the United States. Mr. Oh, yeah. He didn't seem to quite understand the concepts of infections <laughs> or the lungs. So, um, I th- you know, I thought, you know, yeah. might help. Did it? Did he, he did, did he get a response? Did it go? Oh, so rude! So yeah. rude. Yeah. He's he's going going out, rude months, so maybe he can <laughs> reply to his uh, his tweets then. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. And what what do you think about how you know we're handling the whole pandemic at the minute? Do you think? Uh, I mean, it's been great to see the respect and the love for the NHS. Do you think this yes. is a turning? That's point a good thing. I mean, it's certainly if we're looking for the positives, I think there's been a lot of community cohesion. I think uh, we've realised what an amazing thing we've got yeah. in our health service. But you know, I think. If you're going to say that no mistakes were made, probably weren't concentrating very hard. I think the um, uh, 
the the decision for lockdown in the first instance was far too late and I think lives were quite clearly lost and not saying that with hindsight huge numbers of sensible people were, were shouting that as loud as they could at the time and being ignored I thought what happened with the care homes was an absolute tragedy and an avoidable tragedy um, I thought the PPE situation was was a nightmare ultimately we went into this crisis with an NHS that had no slack in it at all from systematic underfunding and no one had listened to the doctors to say we have no buffer here in case something bad happens uh, but the NHS didn't collapse and it didn't collapse not because of the people who made decisions it didn't collapse because of the people on the ground yeah. who you know left their families in case they um, brought this infectious disease back to elderly, you know, relatives or vulnerable people they, they, they live with who moved to their hospitals, who got pressure sores from their PPE, who, you know, over 600 doctors and, and nurses and care staff lost their lives. Um, but the NHS somehow didn't collapse. And then since then, They've been saying, the doctors have been saying, and the nurses have been saying, we need to do the get the testing right, we need to do the 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 the, the, the tracking and tracing right, we need to isolate people, and it hasn't happened. It no. should have happened. The stuff that happened with the schools and the exams, everyone could see, you know, I heard from any number of teachers seeing this exam coming towards them, like the, the lights on a train when you're standing on the track, and did was anything done? Of course it wasn't. And now here we are in this horrible situation where the NHS is about to have another onslaught, where these, these poor bloody students locked up in these halls of residence they should never have been sent to in the in the first place, in plague pits. And it's just, it's just miserable. Um, I'm glad it's not me making the decisions because they're impossibly difficult decisions to make. But at the same time, I wish they'd made some different ones. You have played a massive uh, positive role, though, and a massive congratulations with the uh, love letter to the NHS, uh, the book that's raised a lot of money, hasn't it? NHS. That was that was a lovely thing to be part of. I had this idea that you know I was sitting at home feeling fairly helpless in the situation. I thought one potentially useful thing I I could do would be to raise a bit of money for NHS charities and pull together a hundred famous people um, to uh, to write their memories of the NHS from themselves or their families or whatever and you know did did well raised over a quarter of a million quid and, and wow, counting that's amazing well done super right well um yeah it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you um yeah, yeah and and let's say the book is available now um it is absolutely fantastic make a yeah I think every classroom needs it really every it's a stocking filler I mean that is you know <laughs> It's perfect, that. Absolutely perfect. So um, anything else that you want to mention or plug or... No, not Have you rearranged your tour? Is your tour rearranged? Yeah, so, I mean, mostly for next year. um, But I am back in the West End uh, until the start of November. Brilliant. And uh, and, uh, the first show, which I'm looking forward to, is is a free show for NHS staff. Um, Oh, they need a night off more than anyone, apart from teachers, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to do the next one. Yeah. For, we'll wait, we'll for, wait for our uh, invite. <laughs> yeah, up in Manchester. Well, I'm, I, th- I think I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing the Lowry um, 
I think I'm up there for Christmas. So yeah, come along, send me a send me a thing. Doing a Christmas. Yeah, we'll show. Oh that. yeah, that'd be amazing. Be amazing. Yeah. Oh, I know Salford's a totally different place to Manchester. Everyone in Salford is at pains to point out it's nowhere near Manchester. <laughs> uh, totally different place. Uh, yeah. But no, if you no, can we, somehow we, work out how to get to Salford, I'd love to see you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very, very much. We've absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, so, yeah, the book's available now. Get it. It's been an absolute pleasure to read. My kids have absolutely loved it. Thank you so, so much. Not at all. Speak to you again. Cheers. Yeah. Bye.